0: I'm glad you're convinced. <laughs> Are y'all doing all right? All right, that's better. Awesome. Well, listen, in, in light of today being obviously Father's Day, uh, I want to take the next few minutes just to uh, share a couple thoughts with you really about uh, manhood and being a father. Now, I know when I say that, that sounds super appealing to the ladies in the room, um, but I just believe Jesus is going to talk to you too. Can y'all, can y'all just lean in with me today and let's see what Jesus will do. Amen? Amen? All right, here we go. I've been down at the South, y'all, where they've been like, where they shout at you and stuff. So, y'all got to work with me today, all right? Good deal. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we absolutely love and we adore you. Father, we thank you that your presence is here. Father, we thank you that you're in our midst. And God, that you desire to speak to us. So Father, if we're a male or female in this room, if we're a a dad or a mom, wherever we line up today. Father, we thank you, God, that your voice has the ability to speak to us and to change our lives. And So Lord, thank you for the anointing. Thank you for your heart being released in this place. God, we ask that you would do only what you can do in Jesus' name. amen. 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 Well, well, listen. Throughout history, uh, guys, it's been pretty well documented that nearly every uh, ancient culture practiced some sort of rite of passage that marked a young male's transition from boyhood into manhood. Now, if you study all this, you find out that even though the details surrounding all these ancient rites of passages vary almost as much as the different people groups who practiced them, it would appear like literally that wherever you kind of go in the world, that there were seven similarities or seven common practices across the board. And we're going to run through those really quick, just kind of set a foundation. For starters, we see that uh, a similarity when it comes to uh, basically these boys in the rite of passage is their ages. In other words, uh, once again, all throughout the generations, all around the world, it seems like about the time that the rite of passage happened is when a boy was about 13 years of age, give or take a year. The second similarity that we see is there was always a ritual that took place, meaning that this wasn't some ordinary, you know, small thing. Instead that this event was designed to be something significant in fact it was so significant that everyone around would have known about it and because of that these rituals typically involve the third thing they involve the entire community In other words, a rite of passage always expanded beyond a uh, a young boy's immediate family. You know, this transition or this maturation process would have touched the entire uh, heart and the entire core of the entire tribe, the entire village, the entire community. In other words, everyone would have been invested. The fourth similarity we see is that there were always lessons that were being passed down from the older generation to the next generation. And so, for example, this is where things were taught like life skills, uh, character the religious traditions and history of the people, future responsibilities, in other words, what their future responsibilities would be as adults and so on. In other words, it's this, that uh, at this, this phase or this moment that they were intentionally and consciously uh, being formed in who they were expected to be, for the community moving forward. The fifth similarity was this, it was the challenge. Uh, this is where boys were actually sent out uh, from the community. They were removed from the community for a period of time so that they could, for a lack of better word, uh, be forced into applying what they already learned. Now, it typically went like this. In some traditions, this meant that the young 13-year-old boy was sent out into the bush uh, with the spear and basically he couldn't come back until he killed a lion. Uh, in others' uh, traditions, it meant this, that they would have to be removed from the community, and they would have to survive by, by themselves, completely unassisted, uh, in the wild for six months, right? And so, in other words, this was their proving ground, if you will, that, that were basically the community was like, let's see if they have what it takes to be a man, The sixth thing was this, it was a celebration, because uh, if they survived the wilderness, if they survived the lion, all those challenges that they found in the wild, they were not only welcomed back into the tribe, but they were celebrated because, once again, this marked their transition from boyhood into manhood. And the last similarity we find is this, is the uh, reintegration. And what I mean by that is this, is this is where they had the privilege and the responsibility to be absorbed back into the society so that they can now function alongside the other men in the tribe, in the village in the community, that they too, from that day on, would help bear the weight of providing and protecting their people, uh, basically from that point on. Now, why am I bringing all that up today? Here's why. Please don't miss this. It is outside of the uh, Navajo Indians in the southwest part of the United States, and maybe pockets of Jewish communities, basically with their bar mitzvahs, uh, where do we see any rite of passage being practiced on a regular basis in our country? Like, listen, I for one, I don't know of any other place. And which leads me to basically ask this question. Then how are we as a society supposed to determine, supposed to measure the precise time a boy transitions into manhood? Like what marks a boy's transition into manhood? And if I can maybe be more specific, there are a lot of guys in the room today, is how do we as adult males in this room know when we ourselves transition from being a boy into a man? But how do we know? Now, if I can make this a bit more personal for a moment... Uh, when, when I was growing up, and I'm sure many of you are no different, uh, there, there was never a uh, clear intentional pathway available within our, within our family structure that could have helped me or my four brothers in this significant life-changing transition. In other words, this wasn't something that was ever talked about, right? In other words, there wasn't a moment of, uh, you know, of affirmation where the older men in our family, you know, if it was uh, father, grandfathers, uncles, and so on, where they kind of came around us and, and spoke words of affirmation, there, there was none that there was never a father's blessing given there was no challenge to pursue no uh, challenge to survive there was no rite of passage anywhere to be found which only meant this one thing and I think a lot of you guys can relate to this is that I was left my four brothers were left we were left by ourselves to try to figure out what ultimately turns a boy into a man so once again I let like many others went through what I would call some sort of self-initiated manhood if you will Right, which typically falls into uh, what our self-indulgent, pleasure-seeking, if it feels good, do it, culture tells us to do. Can I hear an oh yeah? Yeah. So again, to ask what turns a boy into a man, it's like in my mind, you know, know, when does that happen? Is it in his first dust-up on the playground? Right, like is it when he gets his driver's license or when he gets his first car? Does, you know, is manhood unveiled in his first job when he's handed that first paycheck? You know, is it when he looks at porn for the first time? Right? How about if he loses a virginity or maybe when he gets drunk for the first time? Is it when he turns 18 or is it 13 or is it 21? We're not really sure, right? Is it when he leaves his parents' house, when he gets initiated to a fraternity, when he graduates from college, when he gets married, has a kid? Or maybe it's just when another man comes along and says, hey, you're the man. (laughs) Like, when does it happen? Like, what marks, what moment marks a boy's transition into manhood? So listen, at first glance, I, I think, you know, to a lot of us this may not seem like much because we're just so used to us kind of like progressively kind of figuring it out and fumbling our way through it, right? Uh, but, but I think it's this, is that if we can understand maybe the power of this, that when a, when a boy doesn't know what makes him a man, he lives unsettled in his identity, that's so true, right? Like, like, And he'll constantly feel like he has to prove his manhood to those around him in hopes that he'll get their approval. That's why guys do stupid things, right? So listen, if I can kind of let... Uh, let everybody in on a secret. Us guys know this. We don't tell anybody this. But if you ladies want to know something about us, here's what's really happening in the heart of every young man. I don't care uh, if, he's, if he's 10 or if he's 50 or he's 60. Here's what's really going on, if we're willing to admit or not. That we are just longing for an older man that we admire, preferably our father, to come along and tell us that we have what it takes. That's it, that we can do this, that we can be a godly husband, that we can be a godly father, that we can provide, that we can protect, that we have what it takes to be what a man is or who a man is. In other words, it's almost like this verbal rite of passage. It's this uh, permission to step into manhood, if you will. If you know that's true, fellas, hell oh, yeah. oh yeah. So listen, um, Just kind of shifting gears. At the beginning of the year, a handful of us guys around here, we, we began reading a book called The Intentional Father by John Tyson. The main thrust of this book was really just about us as men raising our sons in particular to be men of courage and to be men of character. It's an incredible book. Now, now listen, I can't speak for any of the other guys around here that read that, but, but for me, while reading that book, uh, I began to make some in, internal decisions that my kids, mainly my sons, wouldn't have to wander down the same road of uncertainty that I had to walk down through my childhood and through my adolescent years. In other words, wondering, right? Like, I didn't want my sons to wonder what event would be the moment that they finally transition from boyhood into manhood. I, didn't, I don't want my kids to endure that, right? Now, now, listen, when I say that, here's what I'm not insinuating. I, I'm not insinuating that I read a book and I figured it all out. <laughs> like, like I, don't, I don't have, like, this great rite of passage planned out for each one of my sons at this moment. Like, I'm not even close to that. But, but what has happened in my heart is this, is I am uh, absolutely determined that they will have every opportunity to have a different experience than I had growing up. That's what I'm determined to do. Because for starters, this is that I've made the internal decision that I will intentionally be with them to walk down that road to help them transition into manhood. And part of that is even this, is when there's sin involved, the hammer's not dropped, there's grace given. So different than how I grew up. Right? And, and so, listen, by walking alongside of them, I hope is really as this, so that I can keep them from falling into the lies and the traps of the enemy that I fell into. Because most of those things that we listed a while ago that you think makes you a man, well, I reached half of those before I got in high school. Didn't make me a man. That was a lie of the enemy. Right? So, so let, let me just say this for what it's worth, and, and I really wrestled if I wanted to share this or not, uh, but I feel like maybe there's a fellow or two in here that needs to hear this. So listen, one of the main perspectives that needed to shift in my heart for this internal decision to take place was this, is while I was reading that book and listening to some other podcasts, I, I, was, I was really doing all that while I was hanging out in my garage, right? And, and one day I was, I was hanging some... Um, My mind's going blank. I was working in a garage. There we go, right? So um, I was hanging some insulation. There we go. I was hanging some insulation, and and God spoke to me in the middle of that and basically told me this, that that I am not as irreplaceable and as important as I would like to think I am. Ouch. (laughs) Let me explain what I mean by that. God, God said that statement to me, and then he literally walked me through every role that I currently feel in other people's lives at this moment. It went kind of like this. He showed me first because I'm like a lot of you guys. The first thing that consumes me most time is my job, right? Like I can get that out of order, right, really quick. But so he showed me that even though I uh, currently feel the role of a pastor in this church, right, that that if he decided to move me out of this position for whatever reason, that there may be a handful of folks around here that might miss me and might miss my preaching. But the reality is, give it a few weeks, let another guy come in, and the church as a whole around here would. Keep keep moving forward like nothing happened. Why? It's because it's his church, and I'm just a vessel, right? In other words, he's saying, Quentin, you're not irreplaceable, right? And then he showed me who I am as a friend. Listen, since I've been a Christian for the last 25 years, I've been a part of six churches in four different states, and in every church I've been in, I have made friends with people that I thought I would be friends with them for the rest of my life, like, like literally in every place I've been, there's been people that I've become so close to that I'm way closer to than my natural family. But what happened was is either I moved away or they moved away. And, and just by sheer distance, what happened was is that friendship slowly faded. They've made new friends. I've made new friends. Life goes on. What's the point? It is I am not irreplaceable. And then he showed me who I am as a member of this community. I, you know, I, I would like to think that I have... Uh, you know, over the past seven years, you know, made some healthy connections in our town. But the harsh reality is, if something happened, if I was removed, right? Uh, to most people, my absence wouldn't be more than a fleeting thought. Like, who was that dude again? I have a redneck from Alabama, <laughs> right? Like, I'm replaceable. Now, now, watch this. S- some of y'all may disagree with what I'm about to say, and it's okay. But all I can tell you is what Jesus was talking to me about. Because what happened was, is, is I felt like then He took me to my role as a husband. Now, now, remember, Jennifer and I are both relatively still young, okay? Uh, I have a lot of white, and, but she's pretty good looking, right? So anyways, we're still young. But anyways, so listen, I had to acknowledge that if something happened to me, and Jennifer found herself in a position of being a single woman, and if another man came along, I, I know what you think, thinking, I already hate him too, right? So anyways, <laughs> but, but, if, but if another man came along... Uh, you know, basically that he could love her uh, just as much as I do and maybe even more. But the point that God was saying is, Quentin, you're not irreplaceable. Even there, right? Now, now, fellas, listen, how many of you guys know when you find out that you are uh, replaceable as a pastor, meaning in the place of your passion, in the place of your calling, when you're, when you're replaceable as a friend, as a member of society, and even as a husband, that has potential to cause damage to your ego, <laughs> Yeah, l- listen, I'm telling y'all, while I was sitting in that garage, I was grieving. Like, that was a hard thing to grasp, that, that I'm not as cool maybe as I think I am. <laughs> I, I, there's only really one word. It was, it was humbling, right? Now, now, listen, why would God do that? Please, guys, hear what I'm about to say. It's because God was wanting me to see that the only place I am irreplaceable in this life is in the life of my children. Listen, sure, Jennifer could have a new fella come along, right? A mentor might step up. You know, another family member might hop in there, right, and teach them some things. But the reality is, at the end of the day, I'm here to tell you that no man will ever love my children as much as I do. That's a fact. So, listen, to drive this point home, if, you don't, if you're not really going with me yet, listen to this verse in Malachi. That's how God ended the Old Testament. He said this in 4.6. He says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the earth with a curse. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to the fathers. Now listen, I'm not trying to devalue any other relationship. But fellas, please notice that the prophet didn't say that the heart of the man would return to his job. That the heart of the man will return to his friends or his community or his favorite sports team or his favorite hobby or even his wife. God clearly said that man's heart will return to his children and in return the hearts of the children will return to him. Why? Because he's irreplaceable. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Listen, I want to also notice something. Notice what it said there at the end. It said, basically, if this doesn't happen, at least I come and strike the earth with a curse. Have y'all ever thought about that? Least I come and strike the earth with a curse, right? In other words, uh, basically, when we're not operating under God's laws and God's ways with being connected in that relationship, there's a consequence that happens, a consequence that takes place. Now, now listen, I want you to just think about this. What does that curse look like? We'll throw up the next slide. That basically children without a dad are four times more likely to live in poverty. Four times. They're more likely to suffer emotional behavior problems, have higher levels of aggression behavior, have two times the risk of infant mortality, and twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity and are more likely to go into prison. Let me, some of you guys work in a prison around here, do y'all realize that across the United States that legitimately 80% of the men that are incarcerated is because basically if you look at their life, they didn't have a father in their home, 80%. So I just think this, look, that list obviously does include drug, alcohol use, gang activity, or suicide statistics. But the point I'm trying to make today is this, is that you don't have to take my word for it. Man, all around us, there's proof in our modern-day society that shows us that fathers are irreplaceable in the lives of their children. Statistics prove it. So listen, that's not saying that moms aren't important. Hope you're not hearing that, okay? Because they are. But, but listen, they, they can't bring what a father brings to the table, it's just true, just like a man can't bring what a woman brings to the table, right? Yeah. So, so let me maybe give a balancing statement here before we move on, okay? Before we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about. Um, I, I, I realize that in our church we have single moms that are raising children on their own. And, and I want you to know that that doesn't mean that those negative things that we just listed and all the other things we could say automatically happen in their child's life because the dad's not in the home. That, that's, the, the worst decision a woman could ever make is just get a man just kind of feel something, they need to hear from Jesus, right? Okay, God may have a Boaz for you, right? But you need to hear him, amen? But, but listen, all I'm going to say is this, is that uh, the Bible makes it really clear that as believers, we're no longer under the curse. So we don't have to live under all that, right? And, and the cool part is, is the Bible says in Isaiah that God will be our husband, right? So ladies, he'll be your husband, right? And he'll give you the wisdom, he'll give you the discernment, he'll give you the anointing uh, to do what you need to do to raise your kids in a way that even if man, in other words, Jesus will be the man in your home, Amen? Alright, so, so we got that out of the way. Let's transition here. Um, in my opinion, fellas, if we are going to uh, live A, live in the will of God, if, B, if we're going to help our children become who God has called them to be, and C, if we're going to give them an example to follow, because you do realize that we actually give them the representation of God... Right? When they look at our lives. Listen, I just think that we need to first understand what true manhood is all about ourselves. And more than likely, if you're like me, nobody ever came along and said, hey, here's what it means. Yes? And secondly, we need to be able to articulate it. We need to understand it. We need to be able to articulate it. And we need to help our kids make that transition. All right. So with all that in mind, let's get into the of what we're going to talk about today. Please listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He said this, he said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Notice the next three words, act like men. That literally means to act manly. This is be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let's read that again. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Gang, unless I'm missing something, it looks like Paul is saying that a man acts or behaves like a man when he is watchful, when he stands in faith, when he walks alongside other men, when he's stronger, when he's courageous, and when he walks in love. Like, to me, when I read that scripture, it appears like these five, we'll call them marks, these five marks form, or for lack of a better word, they form a a grid that defines what, uh, what it means to be a man in God's eyes. Like, don't we want to be the kind of man God wants us to be? Then we need to grab a hold of these five things. Let's dive into this really quick. Number one, to be watchful. So, once again, according to God, we act like a man when we are watchful. These, the word watchful means this it means to be vigilant and awake, lest some destructive calamity overtakes you. Listen, when I hear that definition, my mind immediately goes, probably where some of you guys go. It's 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Did you notice that he can't devour everyone? Yeah. Says he's seeking someone. Who's he, who's he devouring? He's devouring the fellow that's not watchful. He's, he's devouring the families where the man is not standing as the gatekeeper or the watchman on the wall, right? And, and not looking out for his family. That's where he's devouring things. Amen? So listen, if I could elaborate on what it means to be a man who's watchful, it means this. It means to be, be spiritually alert, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, right? So often we're in tune with Fox News more than we are the Holy Spirit. We need to be in tune. Listen, Fox News is not the voice of God. We need to hear the voice of God. Amen? Amen. Listen, it means to be clear-headed and pure of heart. It means to have spiritual discernment. In other words, you can read what's going on. Is it evil or is it God? I need to know which one it is. Listen, it means to be watchful, it means to guard your heart as well as what? Your eyes and your ears and your mind with all diligence. Please don't tell me, well, I'm a grown man, I can watch this, I can hear this, I can say this, I can think this, garbage. The Bible says we only come into the kingdom if we have faith like a child. There's something about childhood innocence in ourselves that we need to protect. Amen? It means it just means to be a watchman and a prayer of your family. What does that mean? It means, guys, we don't leave the spiritual warfare up to our wives. It means we know how to engage in it as well. Yeah. Amen? The next thing is we need to have a protective eye out for the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual safety of our families. In other words, we are protectors. Amen? So listen, as men, we are called to guard the hearts and lives of our families. That is what spiritual leadership is at its core. It's not just telling everybody what to do. Yeah. Hello? Look, quit sitting in your lazy boy chair grunting. Engage. Amen? Listen, I'm just telling you this, is that when we as men have a heart to spiritually guard and spiritually guide our families, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. He will make us wise to the enemy's schemes. That's a promise from the Word of God. Amen? That he will show us what the enemy is up to, what the enemy is planning in secret. Why does he show us? So we can go pray and we can render his efforts powerless through prayer. I can't tell you how many times over the years there's things I have felt in the Spirit when I was praying and come to find out that later I would see my kids fight with that and even my wife fight with that, that I would know it months before it even happened. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit's talking. Because He protects us, right? He he protects me so I can protect them. Amen? Let me say this. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I had a man come to me one time, an older guy that had been in ministry, I don't know, probably uh, 50 years at that time. Uh, one day, he just walked up to me out of the blue, and he said this. We were at this, like, leadership meeting, and he walks up, and he just says this. He says, you know, Quentin, if the devil can't get to you, he'll go through your family to get to you. We need to be watching, guys. Amen? Let me give you another thought, and I'm, and I'm not saying that this is actually what... Paul is talking about here biblically, but there's something that I want to share with you because I I think this is important. I I personally only believe that God wants us as men to be watchful, but I believe he also wants us to be men of vision. He wants us to be able to see, to have vision. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, This might sound a little strange, but, but outside of worship music, my favorite band is Need to Breathe. I love Need to Breathe. They're awesome right? Um, They have a song entitled Happiness. Uh, One of the lines in that song says this. Please listen. It says, i got dreams that keep me up in the dead of night. If I could sing it, I'd sing it for you. (laughs) But I can't sing like bear. I got dreams that keep me up in the dead of night telling me I wasn't made for the simple life. Man, every time I hear that, I want to run through a daggum wall, right? Because here's why. Because I believe that the moment... That God takes up residence inside of us, that the simple, the mediocre, the status quo life goes out the door. I hope y'all believe that, right? Which means this that if we are gonna live beyond the status quo, then it means we will be required to receive a vision from God concerning our lives. Do you have a vision today? Right? Listen, the Bible says this. And I may be pulling this a little bit out of context, so give me grace. But the Bible says in Acts 2, says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Yes, that's still happening. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I believe we need a vision for our relationship with God. I believe we need a vision for our family. I believe we need a vision for what we're called to do. And I believe we need a vision for our future. Amen. So listen, with that verse of mine, I'm here to tell you that I think it's okay for you to have big dreams. I'm here to tell you that you should have big dreams, right? In fact, God has made each one of us men and, yes, women. He's given us imagination. He's made us creative in our own ways. Therefore, he likes it when we're full of ideas and we're full of dreams. So i repeat to you again, he wants us to set big goals. He wants us to have big dreams, and he wants us to rely on him to achieve those dreams because it's got to be connected to him. can't be selfish. Amen? Listen, I believe, fellas, that he wants us to be filled with passion. Listen, if the Red Sox, if the Celtics, right, if the Bruins, if the Pats, if we have more passion for them than we do for God, something's wrong. Right? I, I literally, if that's the case, I question where your heart is. That's truth right? So, so here's what I'm saying, man, is that we don't need to settle for some status quo in any area of our lives. And so I, I ask you again, are you a man? Are you a person of vision? If so, what is it? If not, why not? Like why not? Listen, there's a big God who lives inside of you. In fact, the Bible says this in Ephesians three says now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, infinitely more than we might ask or think. So why not dream big fellas? Why not? The second mark of being a man that I want to look at is this, is that we would stand firm. And we would stand firm. So according to, once again, to God, we act like a man when we have the ability to stand firm. Not when we're tossed to and fro by the, every wind. Yes? Listen, the word stand firm means this. It means to persevere and persist. It means to keep one's standing. Listen, in my opinion, stand firm means to be a man of conviction. I hope you're hearing me. It means to be a man of consistency, stability, and integrity. It means to be a man who is willing to stand firm in in what? The truth or for the truth, for righteousness, for holiness, for purity. It means we're willing to go against the grain. It means we're willing to walk the path less traveled. If I can put it plainly, it's this, guys, please hear this, that men aren't afraid to stand, real men, godly men, aren't afraid to stand against the tide when they are resolved in what and who they believe. Do you believe today? Listen, the best example that I've ever heard and the best example I could give you of what it means to stand firm comes from a book I read years ago. It's about a guy named Richard Wormbrandt, and the title of the book is called Tortured for Christ. If you've never read it, read it, please. Tortured for Christ. You can probably even get it free from uh, the voice of martyrs, okay? Richard Wormbrandt, Tortured for Christ. Listen, for you guys that have never heard of him, Wernbrandt was a believer from Romania, okay? And, and basically in the 1940s, the Russians invaded his country and the Communist Party came into power. Y'all, please listen to what he wrote concerning this time. Let this get in your heart. He said this. He said, once the Communists came to power, they skillfully used the means of seduction towards the church. The language of love and the language of seduction can sound the same, The one who wishes a girl for a wife and the one who wishes her for only a night both say the words, I love you. Jesus told us to discern between the language of seduction and the language of love and to know the wolves clad in sheepskin from the real sheep. Unfortunately, when the communists came to power, thousands of priests, pastors, and ministers did not know how to discern between the two voices. The communists convened a Congress Of all Christian bodies in our parliament building there in Romania. It says there were 4,000 priests, pastors, and ministers of all denominations. And these men of God chose Joseph Stalin. If you know history, you know who he is. Joseph Stalin as an honorary president of this congress. In other words, that he would be the leaders of the Christian people. That's what they did. They voted for that says, at the same time, he was president of the world movement of godless and a mass murder of Christians. One after another, bishops and pastors arose and declared that communism and Christianity are fundamentally the same and could coexist. I hope y'all are listening to this. One minister after another said words of praise towards communism and assured the new government of the loyalty of the church. Watch this. Here's the whole reason I'm reading this. My wife and I were present at this congress. Once again, 4,000 people says, Sabina told me, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They're spitting in his face. I said to her, if I do so, in other words, if I get up and I say something, you lose your husband. She replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. says, then I rose. In other words, this man stood firm and spoke to this Congress, praising not the murders of Christians, but Jesus Christ, stating that our loyalty is due first to him. And then he goes on to say that these speeches of Congress were broadcast basically for the whole country to could hear. So the whole country, as he stood up, heard the message of the gospel. They heard the message of Christ proclaimed. And then he said this, he kind of ended the section with these simple words, After I had to pay for this, but it was worthwhile. What was the payment that he had to pay for standing up that day? It was this. It was 14 years of imprisonment and torture by the Communist Party. 14 years. But here's what I want to tell you today. In the face of great opposition, that man bravely stood firm, right, and protected the reputation of the kingdom of God. Listen, I'm just saying, man, if he can do that in the face of communism, surely we can stand up against the schemes and the plans of the enemy that's, that's raging in our society, in our generation. Please hear this one thought, guys. So the next slide, the moments that define us as men are when we choose to do something difficult that we know won't be a popular choice. That's real manhood. We stand for Jesus when we know it won't be a popular choice. In other words, when we stand for our faith and we know it won't be celebrated, right? It won't be accepted, right? In other words, a lot of people will say it's evil even, right? But the bottom line is it's right and it pleases our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. So listen, I think we can do this because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Please listen to this verse. I wish I had time to really dive into it, but I don't. He said this in verse 13 and 14. He said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. In other words, for those who don't stand. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. I'm just here to tell you, come on, let's be the type of people, let's be the type of men who know and walk in the narrow way and who stand firm for who we believe in. Amen? Amen. The third mark of being a man is this. It's being strong or being courageous. So once again, according to God, we act like a man when we have the ability to be strong. And I'm not talking about these muscles that are on the side of our arms. I'm talking about being strong in the spirit. Amen? Amen. Please listen to this first, Joshua 1.9. Many of us can quote it. But he said this, he's this is God talking to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Like put your name in there. Have I not commanded you, right? To be strong and to be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Man, we need to remember that he's Emmanuel, that he is God with us. That yes, he is with us, yes, he is for us, but he's also in us. And everywhere we go, he goes. Amen? So listen, in short, I believe what what God is saying here is this. As we act like men, we don't allow the fear of failure, right? The fear of embarrassment, the fear of the unknown, the fear of rejection, the fear of man to stop us from being the man, the husband, the leader that God has called us to be. Amen? Hopefully that resonates with you. That God, let, let me just say this, fellas. I can't tell you how often I've been around a group of men and they start talking about Jesus and they want to talk about all the old stuff that they used to do. And I want you to remember today that, that basically that what God has saved you to is greater than what he saved you from. Yeah. Amen? So listen, we don't need to let fear stop us from doing what God's called us to do. Amen? Yeah, let me say this. Just kind of help some of us out. I, I think the only way that, that really that we can do what Joshua 1, nine says is this. Is, is, is really we have to uh, come to the spot where we go, you know what? I have to first admit. And second, I need to embrace my weaknesses. Please don't miss what I'm saying. Like every, every person in this room has weaknesses. Every person in this room has shortcomings. Every person in this room has failings. Uh, we all blow in different, in different ways. Is that not true? Yes. So, so we got, it's good to admit that. It's good to embrace that. But we can't stop there because the next step that's going to help us to be strong and courageous is we actually have to come and surrender those weaknesses to God. Like if I have a fear of failure, I need to surrender that to God. I know what it's like to walk in that. Fear of failure is crippling because because you don't take risks and you don't live by faith, yeah. right? Because you're afraid if you if you step out, you're gonna you're gonna look stupid. Yes. So, so listen, I just think once again, if we can remember today that He said that in our weakness, His power is made what? Perfect. This made complete, right? That in other words, that we are actually becoming displays or, or banners, if you will, basically of God's power when we simply go, you know what, God, here's my weaknesses. And in exchange, we get to receive his power and we get to go do what he's called us to do. Because once again, as the old quote says, that courage is basically, is what? It's not the absence of fear, but it's what we do in spite of the fear. In other words, that we scheme to step, even though we feel that, we don't let it stop us. Amen. Let me give you a verse to encourage you here. One of my favorite verses, probably my favorite verse out of Isaiah. Isaiah 41, 9 to 10 says this. It says, I took you, fellas, from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. Isn't that good news? It says, do not fear anything. Anything. Don't fear it. For why? For I'm with you. Do not be afraid, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Be assured I will help you. I will certainly take hold of you with my righteous right hand, a hand of justice, a hand of power, a hand of victory, and a hand of salvation. Man, it's great to be in the hands of God. Amen? Amen. Listen, the fourth mark of being a man that I want us to look at is this. Is, is, notice Paul said, basically, let all you do be done in Love. Love. So, once again, according to God, we act like a man when we consistently walk in love. Now, here's what the word love in that portion of scripture means it means affection. I know you fellas love that word. Your wife likes it, you don't. I could elaborate, but I won't. Affection, goodwill, benevolence, and brotherly love. Listen, with that definition in mind, I think most men by nature tend to uh, lean in the direction of truth. And justice, right? And we tend to, as fellows, we tend to lean away from things like tender affection, right? And compassion. Like, we, we lean into truth, we lean into justice, and we lean away from affection, and we lean away from compassion. Man, it's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like how we're wired in a lot of ways. But listen, in fact, I like how one male author put it. He said this, he said, a lot of us men think of love and kindness as a women's sport, like, that's for the ladies. Right? That offended you, get mad at him, not me. All right, here we go. He went on to say this. Please listen. He says, sure, we generally get past some of our inhibitions and are able to hug people on occasions, as long as it's short and it doesn't call our manhood into question. In other words, let me just there, there's like this uh, like Kai, hop up real quick. Hop up. There's like this, like this rule that's known to men. Like when we hug, there's this like, come on, bud, don't be afraid. See? <laughs> He, see? It's okay. Come on. No, I'm not going to Come on. So listen, that when we hug, there's like this three pat rule, right? <laughs> like, that's just like, that's what men do. And, and there's, there's, there's actually like a bro code in that, that I won't tell you what it means right now. So if you have a question, I'll tell you what it means later. Anyways, so so thank you, Kai. So basically what happens is, is, is we may we may not you know mind being tender at home with our families uh, when no one else is watching us, what this guy's saying, but the burden of being overly kind or thoughtful and sensitive to others' needs are or called upon to offer comfort to someone, we freely delegate those jobs to our wives or mothers. Love just not known is love is just not known. I can't read this morning. It's not known as our strong suit. Wow. That was hard. Maybe I was that uncomfortable reading that. I don't know. Oh, if you need help with this, just get around pastor Chris. He hugs you about every 35 seconds. But anyways. <laughs> all right. So, so listen, I, I think with all that said, no words that we struggle with that affectionate tenderness guys. I, I think a lot of us uh, in doing that, we fail to remember that, in contrast, the strongest, the manliest man of all time was also the most loving man who ever walked on the face of the earth. His name is Jesus, right? He he's the greatest warrior for justice, right? Like I mean, the dude's coming back with fire in his eyes and the sword in his hand. He's riding a horse. It's going to be scary, right? But but yeah, he constantly walked. Out of his way, what, to show kindness, to show compassion, and respect for people from all walks of life. And guess what? He still called us fellas to do the same. He lives inside of us, so we can do that. Don't get quiet on me now. Look, if we were one of those like life coaching guru moments, I would make you guys stand up and hug and look in each other's eyes for like three minutes. They actually say that if you look look into a person's left eye, that basically it makes their joy overflow. So I'd say, look at each other's left eye. Come on. Let's take a moment here, okay? Anyways. Hallelujah. (laughs) He said, let's not. All right, listen to how the Apostle Paul put this Colossians 3. Oh, I can't wait for the next small group with guys. Here we go. I'm getting, I'm getting a vision for the next meeting. All right, here we go. So Colossians 3:12 says this. It says, "As those who have been chosen of God, fellows, are we chosen by God?" Yes. yes. It says holy and beloved. He says, "Put on." Now, why would Paul say "put on"? In my opinion, it's because he knows what he's about to say next doesn't come natural. He says, put on a heart of compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, and put on patience. Let Jesus help us do that. Amen? Amen. The last mark of being a man that Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16 was this. And and it was actually in the middle, but I brought it to the end for a reason. It's this. He told us to act like men. To act like men. Let's look at it one more time. 1 Corinthians 16 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Once again, act like men. Somebody say men. men. says, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Please notice this. Please notice that Paul didn't say, this is important, he didn't say act like a man. He didn't say act like a man. Rather, he said act like men. In other words, he is plural. It's not singular. Now, I believe Paul intentionally chose the plural form Of this word because he knew that manhood is never an individual journey. It's never an individual journey. In other words, fellas, listen, it's like this. It's like by God's design, we are called to be connected to one another if we like it or not. Right? So if I could say it to you another way, it's bottom line, there's no lone wolves in the kingdom. There's no lone wolves in the kingdom, guys. So, so, listen, so many people, I think, think of lone wolves. In other words, like, we see pictures of it. You see all this stuff. It's him being dark and mysterious and strong. And, you know, they kind of become like legends, if you will. Uh, but, but the truth is, is if you actually go and watch, like, a nature show, like, lone wolves, man, they're weak. They're malnourished. And they have really, really short lives. Are y'all with me? Listen, that wolves, even the strongest and biggest wolves, when they start, need a pack with them. If you watch how they hunt, to circle and actually kill the prey. It's never one alone. Like, they may be able to grab a little rodent, but they don't take down anything big. How can I say that, fellas? If you stay isolated, you might do a little something, but if you want to do something great for God, you better get with the pack. Yeah. Amen? Listen, that. The bottom line, when you look at wolves, man, they need a pack to huddle with for warmth and protection. And what happens is when a lone wolf doesn't get enough to eat, right? When he doesn't have the pack to help him kill. When he doesn't have the pack uh, to keep him warm and he's left exposed to the elements and other animals. What happens? It's proven again and again and again in nature. They die prematurely. Right? Listen, and I'm here to tell you the same goes for us spiritually speaking. We will never thrive on our own. You with me? So with that in mind, listen to what Solomon wrote. We're almost done. Hang in there with me. Ecclesiastes 4. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. What does that mean? It means this, man, that, that if we're basically other around, around other guys, we're going to be successful in what God's called us to do. It says, if one person falls, because you will, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. The Bible actually says again and again, like, man, if your brother falls in sin, restore him in gentleness. So in other words, there's someone there to help restore you, right? And then it goes on and says this. It says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. (laughs) Thing about my lady. so It says, but how can one be warm alone? Uh, sorry, I got all kinds of jokes in my head. All right, here we go. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Get that. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, in other words, add another guy or even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Here's the point, guys, is that we need to be surrounded by godly friendships of other men, right, if we're going to become who God wants us to be. Are you all with me? Listen, that we need each other if we're going to be godly husbands, we're going to be godly fathers, and so on, right? Like, like, if we're going to help our kids transition smoothly into womanhood or into manhood, we're going to need this entire community of dads and moms and grandfathers and grandmothers working together. In fact, I'll, I'll throw this out to you. Going back to that book that I was reading, right, that a handful of us were, um, I realized that a lot of things that I need to teach my kids that guess what, that, that I don't have the ability to teach them. And I begin to realize how much I need a community of men around me to help my children, help my sons make that transition into fatherhood. So like this, I wasn't planning on doing this, but there's two guys in this room that have already made a significant impact in my oldest son's life. So like part of it was this, is my son has asked me like, hey dad, can you take, can you take me hunting? Well, I have very little time to do that, need to make more time to do that. Uh, we, you know, we have the necessary things to do that. Uh, but, but I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how to go about that. And so, that, so in my mind was so awesome, I thought, man, here's a guy that could do that in our community. And I, but, you know, I just prayed about things. I never said anything. And one day Adam over here, he, he, he texted me and my wife and he said, hey, uh, I would like to take Caden turkey hunting. Can we go? So it was so cool, right? Like, I'm at work, but he wanted to get him familiar with the shotgun before he went. So I dropped everything here, run over to Chris's house. He's got him in the backyard with a fake turkey drawing, and he's shooting it, right? And it was so cool. I'm videotaping, having a dad moment, pretty awesome. Seeing a little fellow shoot a 12-gauge is always funny. And so, anyways, and so, the, you know, the next day, Adam, right, part of the community of dads, takes him out 15 minutes into a hunt. After Cowdy coyote runs by him, he shoots his first turkey, has his moment. Woo! Pretty awesome, right? Another part is like this, is like, uh, you know, I've told you guys, like, I'm not super handy. Like, and there's things that I would love for my kids to learn. And then, you know, Mr. gonna cry. Woo! <laughs> Mr. Steve said... He said, hey, do you mind if I, if I take your son? In other words, I've done this for years, taking young boys and basically work with them, help them, teach them how to do things that a man would do. He said, I would like to start working with Caden. Will you let me do it? Right? And so, and so here they are, I don't know, Two summers in, whatever it is now, he did it with other, he did it with Micah who plays drums, he did it with Austin, he's done it with all kinds of dudes, but now my my son gets to be a part of that community of dads, he's a grandfather now, but doing a part of that to go, okay, help, let me, let me teach the next generation what I know, that's Jesus, that's biblical, amen, like I honor these dudes, I love that, I mean, like such an awesome moment, right, amen, hopefully you hear that. So so often I think, let me just throw this out there. I think so often um, when our kids leave the home, we think our job's done. Man, it is not done. Like, we have to do a better job as a church connecting granddads and grandmas with the next generation. Like, that's God. That's biblical. Amen? Uh, Are y'all hearing me? Amen. Amen. So, all right. So in closing, listen, with those five marks in mind, let me say them one more time. Five things that makes a man a man in God's eyes is that they're watchful, they stand in faith, right, they're stronger, they're courageous. They, they walk in love and they walk alongside other men. So, man, I'm asking you today, how well are you doing? How well are you doing at being a man of God? Because once again, these five marks, what? They, they, they form the grid, they define who a man is in God's eyes. And, you know, and I just think, I'll just throw this out there. Like when your kid looks at you, is he seeing a dad who lives by fear or is he seeing a dad who lives in faith? Is he seeing a dad who's frustrated and emotions going crazy or is he seeing a dad that's just stable and consistent? Is he, is, are they seeing a dad that's free or are they seeing a dad that's addicted? Are they seeing a dad that's a lone wolf or a dad that's connected? What are you giving an example to your kids? doesn't matter if your kids are out of their house. What, do, what, do you, what example are you giving them? Right, so, so let, let me leave you with this one challenge. Think about those five things. It's a, it's a simple verse. First Kings two, two simply says this, show yourself a man. Fellas, can we show ourselves as men? Amen. Fellas, do me a favor. We stand to your feet. Just the men stand to your feet, please. Thank you all for coming today. A few weeks ago, I rebuked everybody about not coming on Father's Day, so I appreciate y'all coming. (laughs) Yeah. Can I pray for us? Notice I said us. Amen. Ladies, if you don't mind stretching your hand out towards these fellows because we need your prayers. Let me say something. Everybody look up real quick, please. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to yank us around here. You know, so often I think ladies get frustrated with men because we don't lead the way that they want us to lead, right? Like, they get frustrated with us. And, and I think what they, what they miss a lot of times is that we ourselves weren't ever really given great examples of that. Like, 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 literally, like, I'm looking at these five things here, and as I've thought about that scripture, I'm like, man, I don't know a single dude in my childhood, if it be my dad, my stepdad, my grandfathers, my uncles, like I don't know a single man that did any of those things consistently, like not a one. The awesome part is, is since I become a believer, uh, it's like funny that every man that I admire, I see those qualities in them. I don't think that's by accident. But, but so listen, in, in spite of maybe what we've seen or what we haven't seen, there's a decision that needs to be made. And once again, even if we don't have that example, ladies, give us grace to let us work on these things and let us grow in these things. And, and it'd be best, instead of nagging us, you would just pray for us in these things. Is that okay to say that? And so support us in those things. And part of it is this. I'm going to tell you, this is for some woman in the room. Part of the reason that your husband doesn't lead the way you want him to lead is because you won't let him. Because every time he goes to lead, you cut his legs out from under him. If he speaks, let it be spoken. Right? Let it be spoken and stand beside him in that, even if you disagree. You can work that out behind closed doors. You don't have to say it in front of the family. Okay? No one needs a mom or, or, or basically a mom that always wants to show how super spiritual she is and how much greater she is than dad. Nobody wins in that. Amen? Amen? Bubba, behave yourself. <laughs> don't, be talking, don't be talking to your wife right now, right? <laughs> oh, I love our church. Anyways, but, but listen, man, you got to step up. It's time to come out of the cave, get out of the shadows. You got to do what you've been called to do. I do too. Yeah? That's about the past six months, man. God's yanked a knot hole in me. I mean, it's been awesome, Okay. So, so can we do that? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every man that's standing in this room today. Father, I thank you for their heart for you. God, I thank you that they're even here. Lord, I simply ask, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would help every single man to be watchful according to your word. Father, I pray, God, that you would increase their discernment and you would increase their sensitivity to hear your voice and to walk with you. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would help them stand in faith, that you would help them stand firm in what they believe. Father, I pray that you would infuse their heart, God, with courage. God, that you would strengthen them. God, that they would be bold, that they would be men of integrity. In fact, Lord, I pray today that you would mark them with integrity in Jesus' name. Father, I pray, God, once again for courage and spiritual strength. Father, I thank you, God, that you would fortify them, that the fears that have maybe ruled them for years, the fears that have disqualified them, the fears that have delayed them, the fears that have caused them to to basically be paralyzed or maybe run off course. Father, we thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so, Lord, those fears are broken God, today in the name of Jesus, off of these men. Father, we thank you that you're helping us walk in love. God, we recognize that we can still be war. Warriors, but still be tender at heart. In fact, Lord, we see a great example of the Bible in the Bible of David. Here is this mighty warrior of Israel, yet he was tender, and he could dance before you. He had an intimate relationship with you. So, Father, I pray, God, just uh, as weird as it may sound, that the heart of David would be infused in us today, in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray today, God, that if there is any guy in this room that's a lone wolf, that's just trying to uh, lone wolf, just trying to kind of run their own course, do their own thing, Father, I ask God that today, almost like a a shepherd would, that that literally you've called us to be in a flock. You've called us to be in a pack. You've called us to, to gather together as a village, as a tribe, as a community. Father, the way that a shepherd would have that staff with a little hook on it. Father, I pray that you would hook us back in and that you would bring us back into the fold, bring us back into the family, God, so we could walk as you want us to walk. And so, Lord, I simply ask today, God, that you would help us. God, you know our weaknesses. Lord, we give those weaknesses to you today. We ask, God, that by your power that you would help us be the men, help us to be the husbands, help us to be, God, the sons, help us be the fathers that you've called us to be. Lord, you're the only one that can mark us as such. We simply ask that you would do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.